Uh, so here's, here's, some of, here's how conversations go around me at times, uh, similar conversations. Now, look, don't please, do us all a favor, because I'm going to say one of these, and you're going to want to go, amen, that's right, that's right, that's exact. Don't do it, okay? Just hang on to that, okay? I'll just say, do an inner amen, which most of you do anyways. All right, so, so here I am as pastor. This is what I hear. You can't open the church building yet. It's a huge health risk. You are wrong if you do. Then you hear this. It's all a big hoax, a conspiracy, a media frenzy. Read this article, this link. Don't be afraid. My wife, my husband, my dad, my grandparent, my uncle, my sister, my brother, my niece just passed away from COVID-19. Here are 25 things you need to do if you want to meet in your building again. Well, my family is going to stay home for a while before coming back. Sorry, we just can't be there. Don't ever open again, the building again. Home is so much better. We need to open the church building. I need to be there and see everyone. What in the world, Pastor, are you waiting for? Welcome to my life. Because that's what it looks like in many ways. And, of course, you know, you have pressures coming from every... And I'm not complaining. Um, because uh, I learned a long time ago in pastoring, you're going to always make a decision that half the church isn't going to like and half's going to like. And I'm touching my face. I guess I'm not supposed to do that. But And I hug somebody. But... <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> thank you. But I, I get... Here's what I'm more concerned about. I, here's what I get way, 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 way more concerned. Because I... Look, you, you have to... Just like in anything, in politics or decisions in life, you have to do the research yourself, and then you have to make a choice according to your conscience. You have to do that. I don't get to do that. One, I'm not going to tell you what to believe about what's going on, because that isn't my place in your life. Because if you can't figure out what's going on on your own, I'm going to always have to tell you what's going on, and I'm not going to do that, because that's not what pastors do. Amen. I can give you information, but you got to make, I don't tell people who to vote for. I know who I'm going to vote for, but I don't tell people who to vote for. Why? Because I want you to figure out who you should vote for. You do the, you do the study. You do the research. Then you vote according to your conscience. I have all the time people trying to drag me into political stuff, trying to drag me into COVID-19 stuff. Look, it's all, and, and, or, and, you know, against our governor and all the, and the legislature and on and on and our local mayor in Breckenridge and, you know, and all the. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> oh, I think I had somebody one time say, how could you have a church and let him go to church there, let alone be on staff? I said, because I didn't, he's not here because he's the mayor. He's here because he's a God-fearing believer, and he's one of the most anointed worship leaders that I've ever met in my life. Can I get a better amen? It's okay now to say amen, okay? So, amen. So, but, you know, it's, 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 the, it's what we deal with in life. And, and so my concern always is, and I think we, for, we forget about this, is, is that how do we deal with a life where people don't have the same views that we do, even in the church? 
I mean, if we were to poll our congregation and ask different ones of you, some of you like, don't touch me. Some of you are like, come over here and hug me. My wife's the worst offender. I mean, we had to yell at her last week for hugging people. And, uh, you know, I mean, she, she, you know, but she just said, look, I want to do it. And I ask them if it's okay. And if they say it's okay, I'm going to do it. So that's, but that's her. She's an intelligent individual that can make that decision. But if someone comes in gloves and, you know, in a mask and says, don't touch me, stay six feet from me, I'm going to honor that in their life because that's what they're asking us to do. Are, are you, and I'm not going to get aside with Eric Stellwagen and go, Eric, see that person over there? Look at them. They're so, what are they afraid of? Why are they so weird? Why are they... Because, see, that's not what, here's what I want you to get. That's not what we as Christians do. That's not what we do. That's not what we're all about. <laughs> but you know that if you don't watch out, you could get sucked into this whole craziness, right? You know, who we're going after, who we're upset with, who's right, who's wrong, and we're sucked into the middle of it. And then the next thing you know, we're, we're creating divisive lines. You know, it's interesting in the, in the scripture, uh, I want to read this to you and then I'll go to the other passage, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter says it like this, look, and they lived in horrible adversity that they were living in. He says, since you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Now go back now, just I want you to look at this. Since you have purified your soul... Well, I thought that was God's job. I thought that was my pastor's job. No, it's you that has to purify your soul. And it's not saying purify your body. It's saying get your soul straightened out. Get your, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. You got to get in. God isn't going to come down and fix those for you. He'll help you fix them. Amen. But he isn't going to fix them for you. He'll help you. He'll come alongside you. He's the, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete, the one called alongside. He will help guide you. He'll mentor you through it. He'll work with you. He'll, he's, he knows how to do all things, so he'll help you get through it. But he ain't going to do it for you. He ain't going to do it for you. You know, it's just like children's ministry. You know, so many times children's ministry... It, it, it dissolves into babysitting take, and teaching kids spiritually. We don't teach your kids spiritually. We only have them for an hour on Sunday. They learn all their spiritual lessons from you. What's well, the church's job to teach my kids? No, it's not. It's your job. It's not even the teacher's job to teach your kids. It's your job as a parent. A lot of parents have found that out. I mean, I heard about new math. I know what it is now. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. <laughs> my, that, my grandson, he comes to our house on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and he brings, he brings his homework. And I think he does it intentionally. So he's like, yeah, I'm working on this algebra problem. Can you help me with it? Yeah, so we Google. Yeah, that's what we have to do, right? But we should know, now watch, we should know what they are learning. 
because they may not be learning the right things. And they'll just think because they go to school, they're learning all the right things because it ain't reading, writing, and arithmetic anymore. There's other things being taught, and you should know what your kids are learning. And we got school teachers here. I'm not picking at that. I'm just saying you ought to, you ought to be involved in your kids' education. Now the teachers are all just sitting back going, see, this is what we've been dealing with with your kids. Right? So in children's ministry, we don't, but many times that's what it dissolves into is, is that please take my kids so I can go do my own thing. So I can worship and sing and be a part of the service and do what I want to do. But look, your spiritual education is on you for your children. You can't put that on the church, nor can you put your spiritual purification of your soul on God or on the church. You have to put it on you. Can we come alongside? That's what we teach in our children's ministry. What we do is come alongside parents and help them develop their children, not train their children. The Bible says you train them up in the way they should go. And then when they're old, they won't depart from it. We just want to help you do that. We don't want to do it for you. I should be getting a lot more amens from the children's ministry people. So you have to purify your soul. Why? Because your soul gets contaminated. The news can contaminate your soul. Let's throw out the news. People can contaminate your soul. Right? People, are, whether they have the virus or not, they're infectious with something. And they can infect you with bad attitudes, bad ideas, wrong thinking. You and I, we have to purify our souls in obeying the truth, not just hearing the truth, not just believing the truth, but obeying what the truth is, doing what the Word says to do in the Spirit. And then he says, look, you need to obey that truth through the Spirit in sincere love. And here's how it manifests in love of the brethren. Oh my goodness, wait a minute. Now it's not just about me taking care of me. Now I gotta love the brethren. Look at the person across from you and next to you say, hey brethren. And then look how he takes it deeper. Right, can you handle this? He takes it a step deeper and says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Paul, come on, man. Why are you making this so difficult? Listen to this out of one translation. I think this is so awesome. Now, because of your obedience to the truth, you have purified your very soul. And this empowers you. See, when you purify your soul, keep that junk out of your life. This, this empowers you to be full of love for your fellow believers. See, when we're full of disappointment and we're full of wrong information and we're full of bad attitudes, then what happens is that's how we treat people. But when we purify those things from our life, then we're able truly to be empowered, to be full of love for our fellow believers. And then it goes on and says, so express this sincere love toward one another passionately and with a pure heart. And here's the reason why. It's not just because he's saying, look, I'm commanding you, you better do this. He's saying, look, here's why you do that. For through the eternal and living word of God, you have been born again. Let me remind you today, you have been born again. Not of something corruptible, not the seed of man, but something incorruptible, he goes on and says. He says, you've been born again by the incorruptible seed, the word of God. 
And that word is the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. That word will not go away. And so what he's saying is, is to you and I is, look, you're a born again Bible believer. You have been born by the spirit, born through the word, the incorruptible seed. And because you've been that way, you should manifest that in your life by having fervent love, fervent on fire love. I care about you. I care about what's going on in your life. And especially among God's people. Among God's people. That we should have that kind of love for one another. In the scripture in Corinthians, you know, it, we've talked a little bit about this before. But uh, if you uh, will flip over there with me to 1 Corinthians. And uh, chapter 10. Sorry, I know I get a little bit wound up. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, as you read this whole chapter, you find out a big argument had started in the church over eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols, right? So people are upset. I mean... They are upset, and everybody's got an opinion. It's like one guy said, opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one, and none of them's perfect. I mean, look at the nose of your neighbor. Right? Everybody's got one, and none of them's perfect. Right? Of course, there's a worse saying that I could use with that, but... uh, that Dirty Harry said in a movie, but I won't use that one. But look, here's the thing. The church was totally divided. Meat eaters. I'm a meat eater. So what are the meat eaters doing? They're going, you vegetable eaters, you cowards, eat that meat. What's wrong with you? That meat's fine. No, it's been sacrificed to idols. There's demons in it. I'm not touching that. If I touch that, I'll be defiled. By... And the meat eaters are going, we eat it. We're not touched by demons. Well, you only think you're not touched by demons, but look how you're acting right now. See, you are touched by a demon. You know, you look how obsessive and weird you are. And, you know, and so you have all this division that breaks out among the people. And so Paul said, look, in in the end of it, he said, you guys, I want you to realize this, that look in verse 31, therefore, whether you eat or you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And in verse 32, give no offense. Do I need to define the word offense? Don't be offensive. Either to Jews that aren't believers, or to the Greeks, or to the church of God. Neither He says, look, the Jews or the Greeks, these are people not in the church, or to the church of God. He said, look, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be, what's that last word? Saved. See, what the adversary tries to do with the church is get us so occupied against one another that we're missing the whole point. That death is real, hell is real, and eternity is forever. There's a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. And so all of this is a smokescreen to cloud our thinking and focus on us on what's really important, and that is 
Where is someone going to spend their eternity? Where is their future? Where are you going to spend your eternity? See, when we're bickering and fighting, you know, I've shared this story with you before about the church. It's a true story actually happened in a, um, it, I don't think we have any Baptists visiting, so it was a Baptist church. Uh, it was a Baptist church, actually, in the South. So the pastor had decided he was going to retire. And so he, 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 he goes to the board, he says, I'm going to retire. And the people, the board said, okay, we'll, we'll get a new candidate. So they put the pastoral search committee, they got a new guy. He comes in, preaches his first sermon, his welcome sermon, and half the church decides that it does not like the new guy. They don't like his preaching. They don't like what he says, the way he says it. He's not the old pastor. He's not the pastor we've had all these years. So they, they tell, they call, half the church calls the old pastor and says, look, we're failing spiritually. You're our pastor. This guy is not our pastor. We want you to come back. He goes, well, the new guy's there. They said, well, it doesn't matter that he's there. We're going to create a coup next Sunday morning. We want you to come, and then we'll cause a ruckus, and we'll get him out of here. All right? And listen, if you think this stuff doesn't happen in the church, you are sadly mistaken because it happens in the church. With people that are supposed to love each other fervently. So here you go. The, the, the Sunday comes up, and they have two pulpits. You know, it's one of those churches that has a pulpit over here where they read and a pulpit over here where they, they, they preach from. And so the pastor, the, 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 the both are sitting on the stage. The church is split right down the middle. All the ones that are for the old pastor are on this side, all the ones for, this is a true story. Now, it wasn't a big church, and you can see why. All the people for the new guy are over here. They love him. They think he's great. We're glad. We, this is our church. We're going to go forward. So it comes time. Music service happens. Everybody's singing Amazing Grace. You know how great thou art. Great service, singing. And then it's time for the preaching. Well, both pastors step to the pulpit. They both have prepared a sermon. Both of them begin to preach their sermon at the same time. True story. One of the people on the side of the old pastor say, said to the people on the new side, tell your pastor he's yelling too loud and be quiet. The guy on the new pastor side got up and said, shut your mouth. A fist fight broke out in the aisle. Oh, you don't think that has ever happened in a church before? A fist fight broke out in the aisle of the church. Deacons were beating each other in the middle of the church. Now, here's the question. How many people got saved that morning? Well, I think the whole church needed to get saved, including the pastors who should never have done it that way, right? Fervent love. Why? Because all of this stuff is smokescreening us to the real issue that every day, every second, you know, we're focused on how many people are dying from COVID-19 right now. But do you know that every minute there are a lot more people dying in the state of Michigan than are dying from COVID-19. There are people dying from cancer. There are people that are dying from old age, dying from abortion. There are, people, there are all kinds of things that are happening all over our, all over our state that, that none of that's being reported right now. There are suicides that are happening. Right now, they're totally petrified. The, the, the estimates are that suicides, the longer that all of this stays locked up, 
40% they predicted suicides would increase in our, in our nation, in our nation. 40%. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago how that in 19, I think it was 1979 it was, when uh, we had the gas shortages, I think it was, and you remember under Carter's administration and all the problems that were going on, suicide rate went up by 40% during that time. It was horrible. Was it? It was 80. 1980, wasn't it? Yeah. 79, 80. See, but none of that, we're not, who's here and all that? That's not, and what we as a church, as God's people have to focus on, that there are living souls that need a living God in our world today. And when they see us bicker and fight with each other, they are not interested in hearing what we have to say because we are no different than the world that's bickering and fighting with each other. You say, well, I don't like that, Pastor. Too bad. Because what we should be is an example of fervent love. Of fervent love. Some of you know who Ravi Zacharias is. Some of you probably don't. But Ravi was a great, great man of God. I love Ravi Zacharias. But he made this statement. And I saw this on Dakota posted this this last week. Always remember, you are not answering a question you are answering a questioner. See, people are hurting. And it's not their question. It's them that's hurting. It's they need an answer. Not just to their question, to the life. They need to understand the great grace and the goodness. You know, we're celebrating this weekend, Memorial Weekend. And I think of often on Memorial Weekend how that you know, as it becomes so much about all the fun and festivity many times, that it really is based off of words of Christ that greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. That Memorial Weekend is really about remembering those who have laid their lives down or at least put themselves in harm's way where their life could have been laid down. But see, that's the example of our Savior. That's what He calls us to. You know, what God, you know, if, you would, if we think about it, Jesus didn't die for people that would believe in Him. He died for all people that, would, that had the, at least the opportunity to believe in Him. That means He died for the atheist. That means He died for the person that curses Him. That means... He, that means he died for the rapist. That means he died for the murderer, the abuser. That means he died for people that live their whole life and do good stuff but never accepted him, that reject truth in their lives. And he died for those who believe on him. Our call as God's people is to exemplify the love that he showed, to lay down our lives. You know, one of the questions I had to ask myself here this last week, and I just want you to think about the last couple of weeks. If I got a call on the phone from someone, and this could happen to any one of you. I got a call on the telephone from someone that said, I've been diagnosed with COVID-19. I'm really sick. Would you come and pray for me? Would I go pray? 
would I go pray? Now, would I, would I take precaution? I told you we we're cautionally confident. But would I go? I mean, look, you know, the, the easy way out is to say, well, I'll pray for you over the phone. But I wonder what Jesus would do. Now, look, I'm not arguing about whether I'm going to get COVID-19 or anything like that. What I'm talking about is, can I get beyond myself to help someone who needs help? Would I be willing to lay down my life for a friend? Would I be willing to do it? Or am I so, and, and, and look, I'm not being critical of anybody. I already told you I'm not like that. But am I so caught up in protecting me and my stuff that I can't help someone who desperately needs help? Who needs somebody to put their hands on them and to pray for them and believe God? The last I remember, Jesus touched lepers. You know, COVID-19 in many ways is the leprosy of our day. People find out you got it, they're unclean, unclean, get away from me, don't come near me, don't touch me, don't touch anything that is mine. What is that? As Christians, our responsibility is to stand in the face of that. I'm not telling you to jeopardize your life, I'm just asking you a question, what would you do if you got the call? What would you do? Because how you answer that question tells me where your heart is. And it, sh it doesn't tell me, it tells you where your heart is. Where your heart is. Well, Pastor, are you saying we should just go down and just throw caution to the wind and just pray for anybody that's got... Look, people need help. People are hurting. If Stephen would have called me and said, Pastor, I need you to come now. The flood is raging around my house. Come right now. I'd have got in my vehicle somehow and tried to get there. Because I'm not going to go, well, Stephen, I'm more worried about the flood getting me than I am about the flood getting you. Just get out of there. He didn't ask for that, but whatever we could do, we'll do. Greater love has no man. That's Memorial Weekend. What if the soldier said, well, I'll go fight in the battle. You know, I'll go to Vietnam or I'll go to... World War II or World War I or the Korean War or I'll go, to, I'll go over to Iraq or any of these other Afghanistan. I'll go, but only if it's for people I like. Huh? I'll go for the people I like. That's the only reason uh, I'm going to go. I go, but it can only be to save the ones I like as I'm not going, I'm not going to save the people I don't like. No, the soldier says, I'll go for all men. I'll go to protect my homeland. I'll go to protect my people. I'll go to protect my neighborhood. I'll go to protect my government. I will go. I will do. And if it costs the full measure, then it costs the full measure. They all go into battle. Any warrior knows this. You go into battle knowing full and well that it could cost you everything in that battle. Even in times of peace, it can change quickly, as we all know. This is good preaching, Pastor. You know, in Arlington Cemetery, <laughs> this is a true story that actually this happened under President Garfield. So this is way back. You know, nobody really...
There's a lot of mystery behind what actually happened with how Memorial Day became what it is. We do know it kind of started after the Civil War, and it used to be called Decoration Day. So it was about decorating the graves of those who had gone. And uh, so President Garfield at the time, he's speaking at the uh, post, this is after the Civil War, he's speaking at Arlington Cemetery, okay? And they have all these Civil War, you know, uh, cemeteries that are there, you know, in honor of those who fought in the Civil War. And so there's flowers everywhere. But down over the hill, there's a, a graveside for Confederate soldiers. And the people were warned that if you have family that's down there, you cannot come put flowers on their grave because we won the, the civil, the, the Union won the war. And so the Union soldiers all had flowers on their graves. The Confederate soldiers had none. Families couldn't go and put flowers on their, uh, to do what they, to honor their, their loved ones. That night after Garfield spoke, the true story, in Arlington Cemetery, a storm broke out. And when the storm broke out, it blew all the flowers of the Union soldiers down on the Confederate soldiers' graves. Amen. And to me, it's like God was saying, look, all these people died. All of them gave their lives for something they believed in. Right or wrong, they gave their lives for something they believed in. And their families should have a right to be able to honor that. You and I in our lives, look, everybody has the right to believe whatever they want to believe. They can believe that. You can believe there's no God and go to hell. You can believe that all your life. And, and look, that's what waits for you. Or you can believe in God and find and be in heaven. You, but you get the choice to be able to make that. You, you, that's your decision. And here's the thing. We don't stop loving people because they choose choices that we don't agree with. There's only one reason people go to hell. Now listen to me real careful here. People don't go to hell for being rapists. People don't go to hell for abortion. People don't go to hell for being murderers. There's only one reason. And the Bible, Jesus said it himself in John 14. Because they do not believe on me. That's it. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I just think, you know, there's some people, they deserve hell more than others. Yeah, that's easy for you to say, right? That's easy for us to say about someone else. Well, you know, Tom Teal, he deserves hell more than anybody, right? <laughs> no, really, Mona does. Well, they both kind of, yeah. Well, they both kind of do, but. Yeah. But see, their lives, their eternity will be based off of the choice they make for Christ more than off the choice whether they think COVID-19 is a hoax or it's the real deal and we should all be afraid, whether they believe the world's coming to an end and this is it or whatever they believe. Look, the thing that will judge them in the end is when they stand before their Savior, did they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior? And look, now, now stay with me, and not just believe in him, but obey him. And his, his call. See, this word, it says, have fervent love for each other. I looked it up last night. I told Sharon, I got to go get this book out and look it up. Because in the Greek, it tells about the different intenses. And this, the different tenses of the words in the Greek New Testament. 
And this is what this word, this word, intense love, we get that. Have passionate love, intense love for one another. Here's what it means. The tense of this word is, you make that decision now and forever. Now, today, and forever. Why? Because as Peter finishes all of this, in chapter, one, in chapter 1, he talks once again about souls being saved. you got to make that decision now and forever because, my friend, there are lives weighing in the balance for the love that God has in your life to give to them. God is counting on you. God is counting on you. Let's all stand. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, I pray this morning, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would touch the lives of every... Lord, we know all of us have gotten caught in the water fountain talking about crazy stuff and listening to conspiracy theories and talking about how ser- our fears. And Lord, all of us have done that in some way, form, or fashion. We've all been influenced. We all have opinions here. Lord, we all have ideas. But God, I pray, I pray, God, with all of my heart that our opinion would not stand in the way of one soul coming into your kingdom. Lord, that we would get rid of the stuff that might try to get in our mind, our heart, in our, in our emotions, Lord God, that would cause us to divert and move people away from the truth. As Paul said, Lord God, to the Corinthian church, let's not offend the Jew, let's not offend the Greek, and let's not offend the Christians. Let's make sure that what we're doing is giving glory to God in our lives Whether we eat meat or we don't eat meat, whether we believe one thing or believe another thing, let's make sure in the midst of all of it that God is being glorified in our lives. Father, I pray this morning if there is one person here today that might not know you or has strayed from the path of following you, Lord God, I just ask you right now, Lord God, to just begin to deal with their heart in the name of Jesus. I want to ask you a question right now. I want every head bowed, if you would, and every eye closed. I just want to ask you one, I want to ask you one question, and then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question to that. If right now, this very second, your life ended, it was over, you're standing before God in heaven, and as you would stand before God in heaven, would you know today, without, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you would be in heaven with God. If it ended all right now, if you say, yes, pastor, that's me. I know I'd be in heaven right now. I want you to lift your hand up in heaven right now. If you know it, for sure. Now, if you don't know it, don't raise your hand. But if you do know it, raise your hand up and say, I believe, I know I'd be with him today. I'd be with him today. Amen. All over the building. You can put your hands down. But you know, you might not have been able to raise. It doesn't matter how old you are, what age you are today. Look, whether you're really old or you're really young, If your life ended right now, do you know for sure that you'd be before God? If you don't know, I want to pray with you today to make sure. So I'm going to ask the question in a different way. 
if you're not sure about your relationship with God today and you're not sure you'd be in heaven with God, I want to ask you right now if you just lift your hand up today and say, that's me, Pastor. I want you to pray for me all over the building. I'm not sure. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Just say, look, I'm not sure. I'm just not, I'm not absolutely sure in my life, but I want to be sure. I want to be sure today. I want to be sure. Is there anyone else? Join this one that lifted their hand today. Thank you. In the back. Two. Is there anyone else? You're just not sure. You know, God doesn't push us away. God draws us to him. And I believe his Holy Spirit's in here working right now. Is there anyone else? Just lift your hand up and let me know. We'll join these two today and say, that's me. We'll give just a moment. We're not going to take too long with this. Hallelujah. Lord God. All right, everybody look up here at me. And now here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray a prayer. Maybe you couldn't raise your hand. Maybe you're uncomfortable. You don't know the people here. That's fine. Look, but we're going to pray a prayer. Whether the prayer works or not depends all on you. It doesn't depend on God at all because God's going to answer your prayer according to how you pray it from your heart. If you believe it, as you pray it, you're going to receive what God has for you. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. His Holy Spirit will come to indwell you. Whether you feel it or not, and you are now adopted into His family. You are in His family as you pray that prayer. Now look, if you're just praying it, going through the motions, you'd be better off if you didn't pray it. But I'm going to pray it with you, and I'm going to ask everybody here to pray it with you today. So I'd like you to just close your eyes and let everybody say this out loud with me. Lord Jesus, I turn to you. I need you, my Savior. You gave your life for my life. I didn't deserve that, but I thank you for it. And I'm going to live the rest of my life giving glory to you and honor to you for what you did for me. Today, I turn from sin and I turn to you and declare that you're my Lord and my Savior. From this day forward, I will obey you. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand for these two today. Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful. Hallelujah. So I'm going to ask Team D to come for prayer. Those of you that are in Team D, if you'd make your way up here. And uh, what we like to do is conclude our service with...